Avoid gathering in groups of more than 10 people. Now is the time for everyone to stop non-essential contact with others. Nous sommes en guerre. En guerre sanitaire, certes. We are at war, says President Macron, a health war. And he's only one of many world leaders lining up to address their nations. As the coronavirus pandemic deepens, more governments lock down their populations to protect them, but fueling fear in markets as they do so, despite the efforts of policymakers to calm the panic. Hello, I'm Richard Edgar, and with me today to provide some context and guidance is the Chief Investment Officer of Fidelity International, Andrew McCaffrey. Andrew, hello. Hello, Richard. Well, things are moving rapidly, aren't they? Um, We heard at the top of this uh, programme the unprecedented comments from the likes of Presidents Trump and Macron and Prime Minister Boris Johnson, amongst many others. What's your understanding of how things have changed? Oh, I think that dramatically in the sense that we really don't know what the way in which this will pan out, the response um, is so diverse uh, that the the challenge of how long that then will become part of our everyday lives of um, managing across so many different spheres of uh, life. And that's playing back into markets in the way that you you can handle maybe one uncertainty. Once you start to make the list an awfully long list, then it's very, very hard to see how um, you can plan, how you can model what the outcomes can be, and therefore start thinking about sensible valuations, sensible um, uh, you know, decisions around investment. And that's where I think the biggest part has come, is that you know, all of a sudden that, that then plays back into levels of trust giving way to distrust. Are my uh, you know, trades going to uh, properly settle? Uh, you know, am I going to be able to access the liquidity I need? Am I going to get that funding and refinancing um, that's required? And I think that those things go through stages from denial into the current phase, which is much more the sort of frustration and then into degrees of, of panic. At the moment, we're trying to cope with where are we in that process. And that is, as I said, just a great deal of uncertainty. I mentioned all of those world leaders. Um, we've had the central banks um, unleashing all of their kitchen sink bazookas. Um, and now the governments are coming in with uh, fiscal support. How effective um, is uh, all of this action in reassuring investors? Because if you look at the way that markets are moving, it doesn't seem to be having any effect. So I think there's an important um, issue is to divide that they could have enormous impact over time. Um, and An economic it, impact. Yes, in what they're, uh, they're doing. And not to lose sight of, of that. The challenge is at the moment that it's, is it enough? Is it addressing the real issues? Do they know what the real issues are? Therefore, are these going to be effective? Um, you know, are they addressing uh, items that are... You know, fundamental in nature for, for keeping markets functioning, but they're not addressing actually what does this mean for the world and the, um, you know, the economic outlook um, from, from where we were maybe a week ago of technical recession to now something as a rolling global recession as a risk. So what's your sense then from your vantage point as a chief investment officer? Do you think that their actions are the right ones? Uh, so I think many of what, the things they've done are definitely the right things to be doing. You know, they're trying to address, uh, first and foremost, that um, liquidity is provided in a very wide sense, not just a market sense, that they're trying to address where there could be you know, real economic hardship as well. They're trying to create the level of confidence that they will manage their way through whatever may happen. The challenge is that markets at this stage are still coming to, to terms because it's happened so rapidly with 
how do we reposition from something that um, it was uh, as we enter the year of a hope for a very constructive year, relatively low but still um, you know, positive growth, um, an environment that uh, you know, really sort of pushed out, not expecting recession for some time. And now all of a sudden you've introduced that the likelihood is recession of some form. The reality is, does that become built into the, the, the outlook and therefore it lasts for much longer than could be anticipated? The decisions around the intervention, are they ones that are going to be sustainable, depending on how long this lasts and the degree to which it then um, you know, plays back into other aspects of uh, the market? So you know, does this mean that debt and the amount of government debt, you know, we're going to go through a seismic shift and therefore that the challenges are actually, um, as we've seen, the safe haven flows to, to bonds. Now, actually, they're going to be more challenged. And so you start to reconsider what ultimately is going to be a safe ha- asset again. It sounds like there are still many more questions than, than answers at, at this stage, because we're, we're only um, a few days into the escalation, certainly in market terms. But how does it compare if we look backwards um, for uh, some context and um, to try and put a, a sense of size and, and scope on this? How does it compare with previous market shocks that you've witnessed? Could you put it into context with 2011? We had the euro crisis, 2008, the global financial crisis, 87, maybe even uh, 1918, the, um, the, the <laughs> flu pandemic we had then? Yes, yeah, so um, it is extraordinary that we're looking at, in terms of speed and extent of the declines, that you have to go back to tw- you know, 1929 for uh, that October-November uh, move um, then that saw you know, such dramatic uh, declines in the US stock markets. We're within a percentage point of that as of um, yesterday. Um, that if you go back to 1987, the sort of individual day uh, move that, um, you know, again, we're seeing challenges to that. It still stands out as an individual point of the, the greatest percentage move. But the fact that we have this series of almost daily and weekly events that set those records, you know, it really does make it very unique um, in the environment that we've just entered. I think the other part to bear in mind is that when we look back to the most recent crisis, that there are some things that we haven't quite exceeded yet. We haven't seen the extent of uh, how we measure volatility and in stock markets, so the VIX is not up at the sort of levels we saw at the very peak. When we look at some of the trace data, which is what keeps the data around bid to offer spreads and the amount of liquidity traded on those spreads um, in credit markets and uh, across bond markets that, you know, that is at a, a significantly increased percentage of the worst of uh, 08 into 09, but it's certainly not back over those worst levels as well. Can, can you give me some numbers on that, um, looking at uh, high yield spreads, for example? Uh, well, the, you know, to see um, that we've had, you know, in the region of um, you know, 650 basis points uh, rise um, uh, you know, in some of these spreads in a matter of a, of a month is an extraordinary level. The degree of actual total move is, is less than we've seen previously, but the speed is certainly greater. But again, going back to that data around liquidity, then you know, we have seen a deterioration that is very rapid, but is not quite at those um, you know, peaks that we saw um, previously. So, so again, I think that the, uh, you know, the challenge for authorities, it's that bigger challenge that markets um, thinking that are they getting ahead of what's required? Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised that even though it feels like they're accelerating, that we see more acceleration. And one of the things that clearly will come back um, uh, you know, as being important is how do they actually get money to where it's needed? 
And so you're likely to see more activity around how do they get money into corporate hands, into business hands versus um, you know, just putting it into the banks. So is this the creativity that we still haven't seen yet of that sort of intervention? So the interesting thing is that when you look back to 0809, some of these things were on the table and they were being used, but the legislation changed. If you look to um, to the US that post-TARP, post the intervention by the Fed, you know, some of the aspects of options that they had uh, were taken out. The challenge now is that whether uh, Mr. Mnuchin as uh, US Treasury Secretary um, you know, uses the powers that he has to be able to try and release some of those or go back to Congress and look for more fundamental change. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see some degree of innovation um, uh, in the uh, way in which they approach it to try and give them those options back in, in some form. And that, that again would be very helpful. Is it enough? Um, we will see, but it certainly would be a very positive dynamic to see that happening. So we may, we may see that yet um, yet come. This crash has come at the end of um, the longest uh, bull run in history. And the mantra that we were relaying um, last year, I think it was the year before we started, was braver for longer. I know that you were um, concerned at the beginning of this year at how, how things might end. How was Fidelity, how were Fidelity investors positioned four weeks ago? It was good that we had a degree of caution built into many portfolios. In hindsight, would you have loved to have more? Of course. Um, but I think that even with you know, my own sort of caution and my concern that um, you know, some of the complacency that had crept into markets, pricing and, and behaviours, uh, that you know, very hard to, to foresee just the speed and extent. But I think that's put us in a slightly better position in that, to a degree, the starting liquidity levels, the way in which we could work to maintain those where that made sense, where it gave us a little bit of scope to actually um, either add to or just maintain those relatively um, defensive portfolios. And look, I think when you look across the piece, because we have such a broad array of strategies, that um, you know there are some that have been challenged by the very nature of the markets and, and sort of you know, exposures you can have. If you think about the sectors that have uh, suffered so badly, there's areas that have a natural leaning to there that even without caution doesn't mean that it wouldn't have been a challenging environment. But on the whole, I think it's been really very good how well uh, you know, our portfolios have performed in a relative basis. Um, that's fed back into absolute levels. Doesn't mean that we haven't seen losses on um, you know, various portfolios. But actually, they've performed very well. And that, I think, is, is very encouraging. Our challenge is to make sure that we continue to do that. We continue to focus on what are the, the ideas that we can you know, sensibly implement, the ideas that um, uh, you know, we should be storing up for when we can sensibly implement. With all of the speculation there is around about how this all develops um, and all the opinion, there's plenty of that too. What data um, are you looking at most closely? Um, so I think the things that really, at the moment, it's very hard to look at fundamental data, you know, what's happening in the economy, because it's all sort of backward looking. You know, we have a number of sort of nowcast type um, indicators, which, uh, you know, are showing interesting signs around the world. Um, you know, one of the encouraging signs is the degree to which we've seen China, um, you know, move from obviously very uh, distinct um, decline to almost zero activity to now uh, you know, resuming activity and that improving. That's something that we, we reported on last week. Um, there was a, a Fidelity analyst survey yep. um, and a very clear pattern as you looked around the world at um, things seizing up in um, in Western 
countries. And yet in China, you know, terrible hit to the economy right now, but things already beginning to, to recover. And also the second level of indicators with things like uh, coal consumption, mm. uh, power generation, and so on, even traffic and pollution data, all beginning to um, look a bit more rosy. Are you taking comfort from that? Um, I think it's really encouraging. Um, and I think the part is that it's it's too early to, to believe that um, you know, all of a sudden it would just go back to where it was, that it go back to normality. So uh, I think that we should be encouraged by the fact that it's improved substantially. We need to monitor to see whether it can get back to what would be comparable levels um, historically. I think that's slightly unlikely, but I'm not sure that one should be negative about that. It's more that we have that semblance of restoring um, uh, you know, stability that uh, clearly the Chinese authorities continue to be supportive. And so likelihood is that you, know, you will see some um, you know, constructive economic events flowing from that. So encouraging data, it's not conclusive data from, from China yet, but it does certainly seem to be on, on the right tracks. How does one position to, to take advantage of it if China is going to be the first uh, to, to, to return to a normality? So I, I think one of the key things to start with is the fact that you've seen, again, the um, People's Bank of China has um, you know, moved with the government to ensure that there is you know, every support for not just markets, but for the, the economy. And so at the moment, when you look around the world, you know, yields in China are still very attractive. So you know, in some ways, I would argue that given what I said about sustainability, bonds out there look relatively attractive. So it's a, a way that if you're looking to put money to work to get some yield, funnily enough, you'd look to, to China before many other areas. In terms of the equity markets, I think, again, there that the degree of what will have that real sponsorship and what is benefiting from still as the economy gets back to um, you know, operating uh, closer to capacity, that um, uh, you know, how people will operate. And that still favours the sort of online and mobile community. It still favours how they get to everyday staples being used in that sort of consumer um, activity uh, that you would focus on there. So in some ways, that going back to uh, a slightly higher economic activity level is going to be all those things will start to be um, operating at better levels and um, you know, seeing uh, an uptick in terms of uh, you know, how people discount better times ahead. I think the bigger element is back to when you think of an asset allocation perspective. If you do have the ability to um, put you know, cash to work, to reallocate, to think about asset allocation, I think the outperformance that we've seen um, in recent days because of the declines in, in US and Europe that um, you know, may be challenging feeling about those sort of entry points to it. But the long-term outperformance of China and parts of Asia and not forgetting the demographics and the um, nature of, of the dynamism in those economies and what this may even be just a small signal of, of coming back again is one to think about as that long-term positioning. The challenge is, as you sort of highlighted, that we you know, are moving into a very um, you know, different phase here in Europe and also in the US. And, and I think the parts that really, you know, you have to start looking at markets and at, um, you know, how they respond to, uh, uh, you know, the latest inputs and to, um, uh, you know, how, um, uh, you know, actual individual flows take place. And there, I think that, you know, one shouldn't underestimate just the waves of volatility we've seen going through different asset uh, classes. So it's very easy to look at stock markets, but the way in which 
credit volatility has picked up, the way FX volatility, the way bond volatility. So one of the things we'll be looking at is any signs of stabilizing off that. Even two or three days where you start to see that that momentum that we've had to date starts to slow down, where it doesn't pop up somewhere else and create you know new challenges, you know, would start to show some signs of encouragement. So um, changes in patterns. Yes, and I think patterns actually are very important because we've had this really intriguing pattern in um, you know, the US equity markets where uh, that you know, we've had these very big down days. And then the recovery days, literally almost the end of the day has been all the shorts trying to close out that sort of top bid at the end of the day. And then we walk into another gap lower and um, you know, new uh, lows developing. And that pattern... You know, occurred again yesterday. We closed at top tick on Friday. Um, we came into a you know the, the largest down day that um, we'd seen uh, uh, you know yesterday. And today, you know, thankfully some semblance of at least you know not um, dramatic up or down. Um, so that's, that's so far. We're recording this on Tuesday the seventeenth. So um, uh, <laughs> it, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, it, it really has been incredible volatility. And, and I think you know, as as the way I'm talking, that you know we like to sort of take perspective. Um, we like to think longer term. One of the challenges, as I said, is that what are the variables you use in your models to think about those valuations longer term? Um, you know, what are the the types of lenses that one needs to use? I think that you know, we'll be challenged by the fact that we need to, and we currently are, thinking about what are those lenses? You know, what are the impact of the political will to focus on to certain industries to support? You know, where do they commit these um, funds quickest? Where can they? Where do the channels work effectively? Um, what does this mean in terms of those companies that can come back and thrive? What are those companies that sadly, you know, will be compromised quite dramatically and be very challenged, um, whatever the the outcome? So I think, you know, that this is the part where one should always think about investment and, uh, you know, looking at how to think about future investment, that it has to evolve. And we're we're at this point being challenged ourselves by how we think about um, those decisions as we look forward. So what's the advice that you give to your network of portfolio managers um, around the world as they try to work in, in, in these circumstances where the old rules seem to be being ripped up every day? Well, I think it's important to focus on what you really can control. Remember the mandates that you're managing to, you know, what our clients expect of us, what you can actually implement, because that's very challenging, as we've discussed around how the markets are operating, but not to lose sight of that. And really keep balance, because one shouldn't get overexcited by the uh, more encouraging days, not get you know, too carried away and pessimistic on the uh, more challenging days. This is about the how do we navigate through what is a very, very difficult time, but keep that balance because uh, you know it's a it's a bit like the grief cycle that if you start to go from denial into that sort of anger and frustration um, and then beyond that you know you, you get paralyzed and I think the important part in these circumstances is to keep that perspective to to stay focused on what you can control because that stops you from getting paralyzed when you know things do get very difficult so you, you mentioned there that people can become paralyzed I think maybe the liquidity um, uh, issue is, is a reflection of that, that too many people are just staying on the, um, on the sidelines because they, they don't know what to do and they don't know what the prices are. At what point should investors start to try to move again? So I think that's um, such a difficult question at the moment. I think if you can think in a very long-term perspective, if you've been in a good place and building up, 
uh, you know, reasonable amount of liquidity and cash, then you know, you're at um, levels where you can start to think about, again, selectively, especially those companies, again, that um, uh, maybe have the political and ultimately general economic um, you know, support that one would uh, look for that are moving to, to uh, you know, very uh, challenging valuations. However, again, I think that you know, just at this stage, making any sort of really long-term decision is one that we just need to see more of those variables to be able to think about what they could mean, that choosing between the companies that will survive and ultimately thrive and those i'm afraid as i said earlier would be you know compromised if not no longer in existence it's a little bit early to be able to make confident decisions around that and so i think for for investors we are getting to valuations that one would like to think in the longer term you know will look very attractive but that selectiveness there's a little bit more work to be done and so um you know in some ways be still you know degree of caution degree of balance as well across um, um, portfolios. And then you know, when we start to see really that the combination of actions from authorities, the economic variables that we're looking for and some sense of where they could be, um, and then very much that uh, you know, those companies, um, both equity and debt, that are likely to be um, you know, with us in the months and years to come, then you can be a little bit more um, uh, aggressive. And where would your first steps be as you look at across the asset classes? I think that in terms of the, the signals, again, you'd really want to see that some of the relationships um, in credit spreads, in funding issues start to calm. And then, again, you'd look to um, uh, you know, some of the individual sectors in the equity market um, uh, and the companies themselves, as I said, that maybe start to look that we really feel more confident in there is a future and therefore that you are discounting some very extreme profiles. And when I say very extreme, that whether in global recession, whether in a protracted period of economic activity um, uh, that would be reflective of that, then you can start to be uh, uh, you know, getting a little bit more um, constructive. And that's why still a slight note of caution in everything I'm saying, because even though we're looking at these signals, wait for them to occur. To preempt them is, is not going to be a sensible move. Everything you've described suggests that this really is um, a new world, uh, a, a new reality. How do you think that new reality is going to take shape? What sort of things should we be looking for? What sort of changes? Is this just a sort of different sectors are going to be winners and losers? Um, or is it an entirely new framework um, of the way that um, economies operate? Well, I think one of the things that I mentioned is around how governments fund all this and how they sustain their support um, for economies certainly is, is, a, is a new one that um, we've moved from a world, especially in this last decade of intervention, pretty much immediately creating a, a reaction and a positive reaction to one where enormous intervention has been um, you know, almost sort of run over by um, uh, market term concerns. So I think there's, there will be a degree of looking into um, uh, to that, and that's different. I think there's a more fundamental and basic level. You know, most of our colleagues are working from home. Most of our counterparts are working from home or in split teams. So that dynamic of interaction and, and risk management um, in market terms you know, is much, much more difficult to do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis when you're across a desk, across a floor, uh, able to communicate. Um, 
so I think some of these will be uh, you know, challenges into how we think and work going, um, going forward, that some of this could be with us for some time. And so we have to adjust. And back to that balance and control, you know, we have to um, you know, find the working ways um, for us all. And that, that can be individual as well as, as, as the groups. So I think some of these things um, you know, will have a, uh, you know, an important impact. And that will play back into how much we do certain activities going forward, that how long does it take before a sense of prior normality returns or is it a new normality? We're four weeks into this sort of uh, dramatic market in, environment. <clears throat> you know, we're sort of three months into um, an event that seemed to be quite localised. Um, uh, you know, in China is now a global pandemic. I think it's too early to sort of think about this change in uh, you know, fundamentally so much of what we do. I think, as I said, I'd go back to we need to start thinking about what are the types of lenses that you need to consider so that we're not missing something that means that when it comes to being able to make active investment decisions, we are making them from a position of you know, strong analysis, clarity of thinking, and then conviction around what we're doing. Physically, how are people able to continue at the moment? How are your colleagues in, in investment um, able to carry on trading and um, carry on operating as normal as much as they can? Um, so, so again, you know, it, it's challenging, and uh, I think it would be um, remiss not to admit that. But I think you know, remarkably well. I mean, you know, this is where it's most important, where we really make sure that that engagement you know, and sometimes if you can get on a video versus a call, um, you know, sometimes if you can have a group call versus just, you know, one or two or three, um, you know, it's really valuable because it just keeps up that level of engagement at such an important time. And, and I think that's, and that's what we're really focused on. Um, uh, look, you know, importantly, our clients are going through, you know, the same sort of, um, you know, challenges, going through the same thought processes. And it's very important that we stay engaged with them as well, whether it be the opportunity to get onto a, a video or onto a, uh, you know, a conference call, talk through, you know, ideas with them, um, you know, hear their concerns, hear their thoughts. You know, this is all extraordinarily valuable. And I should um, uh, you know, really um, uh, thank uh, my distribution colleagues for how hard they're working to make sure that we do stay engaged with clients and that you know, investment, distribution, client conversation is you know, such an active part of every day at the moment. And finally, um, you've described how this is a unique uh, crisis but, and then also how it compares with, with previous ones. What have we learned um, in the past century of, uh, of trading and, and investing um, since, well, I, I talked about the, the difficulties there were after the, after the First World War, but um, there, you know, there's been an awful lot of action in that time. What have we learned? When we look back at the lessons of history, and this, this goes back that you can look at a, at a number of really very sharp demand and supply shock driven, which is, is another part of you know, what's extraordinary about to, to these events, um, but really a you know, very strong demand shock um, to, the, to the system, is that normally that process of recalibrating is fast and it is normally you know, the most dramatic part of the process. And so even though I can't say you know, where the market's bottom today, because if some of those signals I've mentioned start to occur, it may be that you know, it's backward looking and some of the stability occurs looking forward now. It may be that you know, temporary um, profile gives way to, to still more concern and, and follow through. But it's that those 
big events tend to happen you know in the first stages and however significant this is in percentage terms it will tend to eat up you know a short the shorter period of time and then we'll have the readjustment then we'll have the ability to look for value and to think about longer term investment it doesn't mean there won't be more challenges ahead but that's what you've tended to see and so i think we've got to just sort of uh, again go back to we can't pick where it's stopping today but i think that the other part is that normally the markets need to go through their part of of you know real cleansing to get to a stage where also they can start to to focus on to you know it's the the news about the future becoming clearer and as you i started off saying the list of uncertainties as the uncertainties gradually get rolled back as the authorities start to introduce actions that you know manifestly are constructive then it's about getting those uncertainties off the list and once you get back to it's a much shorter list the markets can start to go through the real healing process. Andrew McCaffrey, thank you very much indeed. That's all we've got time for. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. Uh, you can get more markets and investment insight from a range of Fidelity experts by subscribing to both our Rich Pickings and Fidelity Answers podcasts. Just search for the titles in your podcast app of choice. And we've got a page of uh, pandemic-related investment content at fidelityinstitutional.com. For now, though, from the studio in London, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.